My name is Humble Gray, and I am a Mississippi farmer. Now, anyone who knows me would never accuse old Farmer Gray of being judgmental, for such proclivities are hardly Christian, and the means by which a parent feeds their offspring, that's their own affair as far as I'm concerned. That being said, however, the matter of Savannah Lee Kittredge, well, that's posed a challenge to the Baptist community of Trouveau. She's a divorcee, you see, who moved here last year from Jackson, arrived seeking a new life, and, truth be told, dirt-cheap lodgings. Found him, too, in a modestly appointed one-bedroom over Zeb's barber shop. Just the right place to start over, she said, for her and her boy, toe-headed Jasper, age five. Now, as I said, I am not of a supercilious nature, so I was far from nonplussed when this lady with a checkered past joined First Baptist, no matter that she had abrogated her marriage vows, that when the minister declared what God has united let no man put asunder, her attention had apparently meandered. No, ladies and gentlemen, I was not the least discomfited that an out-of-town Jezebel was occupying a pew in our sanctuary. But others, well, they tended to be scornful of the new congregant. She was not petitioned to join us at the pancake house, even as we gathered there after Sunday service. And somehow she was proffered no invite to the ladies' soiree at Lydia Wall's, complete with mahjong and cake by which I mean homemade vanilla bundt cake, thank you very much. But if poor Savannah Lee was rubbing up against a mighty cold shoulder at church, the situation subsequently worsened by many powers of ten, worsened when it was revealed from whence this young gal derived her income. Seems Neil Albet, he was in Memphis about an hour away, picking up a hopper gun for his drywall business. Well, suddenly his pickup, a usually reliable Ram 1500, suffered a busted shift cable. 56 miles east of home and no access to the gears, that was Neil's dilemma. To make matters worse, his cellular telephone was bereft of juice, leaving him no means to seek deliverance. His only recourse was to find the nearest establishment and request the use of their telephone so that he might summon the AAA. As it turns out, though, on this particular stretch of road, the only ziggurat was a one-story brick structure surmounted by the sign, and you'll forgive the indelicacy, a sign that said, Hooternannies, a gentleman's club. Now, Neil, he's a stalwart of the Southern Convention, and would not under any circumstances keep custom with such an enterprise. He'd have preferred to find another telephone, even if it meant dragging his poor carcass ten miles bellyward across shattered glass. But his rheumatism, folks, well, it played havoc with that left knee, and he doubted his facility to reach a telephone not quartered in Satan's playground. So he entered, averting his gaze with both hands, and made a beeline to the acrylic wood bar. "'Hey, good fella,' says he, addressing a burly bartender with a day's stubble, My vehicle lies shiftless one yonder. May I trouble you for your telephone that I might seek repair? Customers only, grunts the barkeep. Pardon, says Neil. Only customers can use the phone, came the reply. 
Two drink minimum shows over there. And the man pointed to a round platform with a metal pole rising from the center. A metal pole with, oh by golly, taut flesh wrapped round it, circumducting to pounding music. A lost gal clad in little more than God's blessings. And what raiments she bore, Neil could see, were stuffed with cash money, tendered by drunken swains hooting at her lascivious capers. He later assured us that but for his bum knee, he'd have hightailed it out of Sodom right there. But circumstances being what they were, he sat stiff-backed at a table, beer in hand, vowing to quickly down the brew and immediately procure the second one. In that way, he might expeditiously accrue the two-drink minimum and gain access to that precious telephone. In the meantime, Genesis 23-4 kept playing in his head, the verse that goes... I am a stranger and an alien residing among you. There's more to it, but that's the only part that applied. Anyhow, old Neil, he took great gulps from his mug, so eagerly did he seek egress from iniquity. Odd thing was, the more libation he consumed, the less averse he was to eyeing the stage. In fact, by the time he'd downed his second brew and the bartender was offering phone access, Neil was too busy fishing through his wallet to hear. Dollar bills for a working gal, that's the ticket, mumbles he. And by the fourth ale, he had moved to a table beside the platform. The better to observe sin that I might in subsequence avoid it, he later insisted. Two, three, four ladies took the stage, one after another, to execute their shimmies. But as he proffered a generous sawback, sawbuck to number five, well, old Neil, he sobered up right quick. Savannah Lee, he cried. What the Hayward? And the young dancer, who indeed was Savannah Lee, transmogrified from seductive to horror-stricken in half a second. Then, covering her charms with her hands, she fled the platform and vanished backstage through a red nylon curtain. Now, I heard all this from Ted Breaker, who heard it from Laura Bosey, who heard it from Trey Ramble, who heard it from Neil himself. In fact, Neil swore Trey to secrecy, so of course the Honorable Brother Ramble spread the news like milk spilt on a sloped floor. Come the next Sunday, Savannah Lee and her boy, they had a whole pew to themselves at church, for no one would plant themselves within that lady's propinquity. She spent the whole service head bowed, even when not in prayer, for such was the burden of her shame. Nor was her mood lightened by the morning sermon, a pointed contemplation of the sins of Salome and her dance of the seven veils. Seems the only soul in that church unaware of Savannah Lee's occupation was her own dear Jasper, for she dissembled, see, having long ago told the boy that she toiled not in a, in a randy house, but in a Memphis office, procuring her lucre through respectable means. Understandable? Yes. Problematic? Absolutely. For the lad caught wind that his kindergarten classmates would be missing class that Thursday for a nationally unnecessary event entitled Take Our Daughters, to S- Daughters and Sons to Work Day. Unnecessary, says I, because had the liberal junta not instituted those intrusive child labor laws way back when, we'd be treating our young'uns to workplace wonders each and every morning, 5 a.m. But be that as it may, little Jasper, he began agitating for Savannah to take him to work, just like his friends. 
Mom is very busy, says she, and the office is a dull place where little boys must sit all day, quiet and bored. You would not like it. But the child was a dog with a bone, insisting that he would like it. And was it fair that all the other children got to skip school for an adventure while he was forced to mind his lessons? After a week of childish importuning, and at wit's end, Savannah Lee finally acquiesced. But of course she'd no intention of welcoming her boy through Hooter Nanny's libertine gates, no siree. So what to do? Well, she may have been disreputable of occupation, but she was resourceful of character. And come Thursday a.m., come Thursday a.m., she donned herself a right respectable skirt and sweater set, pearls included. Even put Jasper in his own little blue suit, clip-on tie and all, and settling him beside her in their old Pontiac Fiero, set out to cross the Tennessee border. And sixty minutes later. She pulled that Fiero into the massive parking lot of G.P. Turpin and Company. Now, the thing is, Savannah had no clue in this world who G.P. Turpin was or what his enterprise did. She knew only that it was housed in a great big building off Poplar Avenue and so must engage a plethora of hirelings. So many, in fact, that they might not notice were an extra employee to show up for the day, one who didn't actually work there. Exiting the car and taking her boy's hand, she sent a silent prayer to Jesus that such was the case. All the better that when she reached the lobby, there was a crush of folks waiting for the elevators, many with their own tots in tow. But which floor would best suit her purposes? Easy, thought she, the one where the most employees got off. She'd be practically invisible, she reasoned, and no one would be suspicious of a well-dressed lady and a five-year-old in a suit. When the elevator reached the fifth floor, Savannah Lee and Jasper were practically swept off amidst the departing crowd. This must be the most popular floor, thought she, and therefore the most advantageous for my purposes. As she and her boy made their way across the carpeted interior, her eyes darted east and west until she happened upon the ultimate prize, an empty desk. Piled high with papers and sporting a computer, its occupant must have called in sick or gone off on some fancy vacation, figured Savannah Lee, might be lounging this very moment in the south of Spain. And how auspicious! There was even an extra chair next to the desk where little Jasper could park himself while Mama pretended to labor. Two chairs, marveled the lady. What luxury! You work in a nice place, piped up Jasper, just like a real superhero. And Savannah Lee near cried. If only he knew what he must never know, thought she. Then she handed him a coloring book and crayons from her purse. So you can work like Mama, says she. Then we'll both be superheroes. With that, the gal made to look busy, turning over papers and even reading some of them. Documents that talked of YOYs, NAVs, ROEs, and other terms that seemed born of outer space, including something called EBITDA. Could that be pig Latin, wondered Savannah Lee, but she tried reversing the letters and still could not decipher it. She alternated this activity with typing at the keyboard, even though she had not turned the computer on. Just as well, I reckon, since she didn't know how to type. Meanwhile, Jasper gazed worshipfully at his important businessman mama when he wasn't coloring outside the lines. So the charade continued for the better part of two hours, in fact, when suddenly a distinguished-looking gent in a three-piece wool suit appeared behind the faux employee. 
Say, says he, where is Tully May this morning? Isn't this her desk? Uh, says Savannah Lee, she called in sick. And then covering all her bases, added, as well as being on vacation too, which makes her double absent. Well, I'm certainly glad, says the fellow, that they sent over a temp to pick up the slack. A temp? Flack, beats Savannah Lee. That's what they did, all right. That's what they did. And which agency are you from, asked the suit. Oh, says the lady, I'm from the uh, Acme Roadrunner Corporation agency. Really, says the gentleman. I've never heard of that one. Who owns it? Uh, a Mr. Coyote, replies Savannah Lee. Mama, says little Jasper, is this your teacher? The man laughed. No, son, says he. I'm, well, I guess I'm your mama's temporary boss. Oh, said the boy, swinging his legs on his chair. By the way, says the three-piece suit, just as a man in a white smock and billed cap pushed a cart by the desk. The coffee wagon's here. Perhaps you'd like me to get you a cup? Oh, no, sir, says the supposed employee. I'll be happy to get you one. How kind, says the gent, and with that he fetched his wallet from the inside pocket of his suit jacket. I mean, if it's no trouble, and he removed a dollar bill, proffering it to Savannah Lee. Black two sugars, says he. Well, dear listeners, they talk of this phenomenon called muscle memory, autonomous motor action born of repetition, and by this account it's no lie, for when the gal saw the cash clutched twixt thumb and forefinger, something took hold of her, something engendered not of conscious thought, because I'm here to say, folks, that she leapt to her feet as if governed by marionette strings, whereupon Savannah Lee, well, she began a shimmying and a shaking, rendering an unbridled performance fit for center stage at Hooternanny's. From what I hear tell, she crawled across that desk like a tigress, spying cambered and skyward abaft as papers and manila envelopes flew. Then, spying a Grecian support column, she launched herself at the pilaster, where, spanning the circumference foot to haunch, she hung upside down a come-hither aspect to her countenance. It was only in the next moment, when Savannah Lee had snapped back to her senses, that she noted some two hundred faces silently turned in her direction, and with that she slowly slid down the column and... Her seductive mien turned sheepish, got back to her feet. Amid the absolute quiescence, the mortified lady, a face flushed, hands shaking, grabbed her purse in anticipation of awkward egress, when suddenly the stillness was broken by the sound of tiny hands clapping. Why, t'was son Jasper, impressed by his mama's terpsichorean prowess, See, the boy had never been in an office before, so to his mind, this was just business as usual. What a wonderful business, too, where people took a break from their boring old desk to slink like a cat and hang from a column, and his mama, he reasoned, must do it better than anybody. A moment later, the three-piece suit, he began a clapping too, followed by a lady with bobbed hair and a fellow with a goatee and another gal and pretty soon the whole floor. Yes, sir, it was a veritable celebration of Savannah Lee's talents. And after that? Well, the thing is, this G.P. Turpin and Company was so fancy, it had its own gymnasium next floor up, part of Mr. Turpin's strategy to keep his workers in fine fettle so they could expend even greater effort toward his prosperity. And they were looking for a trainer, see? 
to replace the one they'd just lost to a big accounting firm in Tupelo, a body with grace and agility enough to put those employees through their paces. The upshot? Savannah Lee was hired on the spot, took her leave of Hooter Nannies that very day, and never looked back. Besides, she's too busy to tackle two jobs. In addition to raising her youngin', she's got a pair of suitors to contend with. That would be the three-piece suit, and take my word or call me a liar, be a little bit. You can't make this stuff up, ladies and gentlemen. Can't make it up. No, sir. Play me out, Zeke. (laughs) 